Thank you. Hey, hello, Grace Chapel. Hello. It's so good to see you, uh, parts of you. It's really, really wonderful. Um, hey, have you ever thought what it would be like to rescue someone? I don't know if you ever have in your life had the opportunity to really rescue someone from some untold danger. I often think of it as a, like, like a lifeguard who's dragging a drowning swimmer back to shore or the lifeguard who's uh, pulling a, a little child who's going down under in, in a pool. Rescue workers who are cutting people out of cars, firefighters battling smoke and fire, risking their life for someone else, or, or even a different kind of a rescue. Um, what would it be like to give someone life-sustaining resources to help them through a very, very difficult time in their life so that they don't lose everything? Maybe you've had the opportunity to do that, but rescuing of any kind seems to be so satisfying to those who talk about it later. Um, even though when you do it, it requires your complete sacrifice and complete abandonment of, of yourself. Uh, rescuing, is, is, it's always the right thing to do, and it breathes a clarifying purpose into our lives. And Jude, whose book we started last week, is, it's not even a book. It's a little brief uh, footnote, but his brief yet powerfully compelling note to the church, to, to you and I, he wants to stir us up to defend the truth, like what is really true in life. And he wants us to be about rescuing those who are in danger, who are, who are being drawn into fatal errors of sin that are going to mess their entire lives and even their eternities up. And that danger is all around us. You and I are exposed to it every single day. And for you and I, the church, um, our calling as we go through the book of uh, Jude together, it's a matter of life and death. Um, it's a matter of someone out there who's in danger of losing everything. So maybe you noticed last week as we went through those first four, four verses together that Jude is going to, he's going to take us to some pretty extreme places. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to, we're going to be talking about things that um, typically you don't talk about in church or around the dinner table. And we're going to come face to face with some realities of life that are going to leave some of us with a what was that <laughs> kind of reaction. Like, what was that all about? And hang on because that begins today. And that's where we're going and we're going to go, go through uh, Jude verses 5 through 10 today. So to bring us back up to speed so that we can crash right into verse 5, last week Jude, who is the half-brother of who? Yes, Jesus' half-brother. He revealed that there are some people who infiltrate churches, and they've been doing it for 2,000 years. They infiltrate the family of God, and they insert themselves in positions of, of influence, and they tear the church apart. It's, it's what they do. It's their job. And this particular group that Judas exposing was, was um, teaching bad doctrine, and they were promoting immoral lifestyles, if you can believe it, but that's where we're at. And Jude calls them godless people, and these godless people that he's exposing deal in a gospel of death. But it's a very, very popular gospel in North America today. It's, it's this warped idea about the grace of God. Um, it's been around for over 2,000 years, and I'm sure it's going to be around for uh, as long as the Lord tarries in coming back. It goes something like this. 
you know we've been released from the obligation to keep the Jewish law in the Old Testament, right? That's what they'd say. And all God's people would say, yep, amen, or maybe amen. Um, Through the grace of God in Jesus Christ, we are not actually bound to any moral code anymore. It's kind of a free-for-all. So go ahead and indulge in the sin of your choice. Later ask for forgiveness, and then you're good. And you may say, well, that sounds so, it's not subtle. I mean, that's right in your face. Who's going to do that? But isn't that the way a lot of Christians probably approach sin? I just go to bed tonight and ask God to forgive me. Everything's good because of grace. I'm labeling it cheap grace. Um, it's, it's a freedom to sin. It's a freedom to sin because of your salvation. Um, it's the, at, at the opposite end of legalism, which Paul attacks in the book of Galatians, where you, you do works to keep your salvation. And both of them are lies, and both of them are false gospels. And Jude's exposing it. Jude details some of the sin that you and I are going to discover in these people's lives who kind of follow this pathway. It's very, very detailed, and it's a a great example of what they are like. He wants us to be able to identify them. Uh, He wants us to be able to rescue those we can, that God enables us to, from this error. He wants us to do that rescuing by using what the Bible actually says and by explaining what God's grace really is and what it really means. It's what Jude calls, and we saw this last week, contending for the faith. That's what we're going to be doing for the next couple weeks. So today, Jude, he's going to compare some of these cheap grace believers to some of the most notorious evildoers in the Old Testament, and some of them you may have heard about. So he begins unmasking them by first stringing together three ancient examples. We're going to start um, in verse 5. These are created beings, in all three examples, who grossly sinned against God and then were devastatingly judged by God for what they did. Verse 5, now, I desire to remind you, and in brackets, Jude says, even though you have been fully informed of these facts once for all. Example 1, the Exodus generation, uh, which was later destroyed except for two men. Remember? Joshua and Caleb. That Jesus, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, later destroyed those who did not believe. Example two, fallen angels who are locked up today. You also know that the angels who did not keep within their proper domain but abandoned their own place of residence, he has kept in eternal chains in utter darkness, locked up for the judgment of the great day. Example three, sensual sinners who get punished. So, verse 7, so also Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring towns, since they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire in a way similar to these angels, are now displayed as an example by suffering the punishment of eternal fire. Do you know or do you remember some of these stories of old? Uh, Let's take a deeper look. We're going to run through them again. Um, And look at these notorious characters from the past. First, in verse 5, Jude said, Now I desire to remind you, even though you already know all about this. So Jude uses three rapid-fire Old Testament stories because he knows that the readers of his letter are Jews, and they would understand the full context of each of these three stories. 
He knows that his readers would be so familiar with the context of each of these three stories that they would immediately pick up on the point that he was trying to make. Today, in the 21st century, even in the church, I think that most people need to be reminded. And probably quite a few will see some of these stories for the very first time, especially in the light of the point that Jude is trying to make for us to get. So what is his point? Well, Jude's main concern is to show us that in each of these three groups, these three groups of created beings, every one of them overstepped God's divinely established order, all three of them. God sets boundaries. His created creatures crash right through them. So Jude shows us clearly that whatever the privileged state of these created beings may have been in the past, it doesn't count for anything. Nothing. They were judged for their sin, what they did. God plays no favorites. Uh, chosen people, angels, or the guy who lives down the street, it doesn't matter. We are all accountable for our own sin, regardless of the past. So let's take a time out right now. I can do that. Um, and, and for a little side note on grace, kind of balance things out for us since we are talking a lot about grace. One of the most wonderful things about the faith, do you remember in verse 3 last week, that's what Jude uh, captured the totality of the gospel message of God with, that phrase, that's the faith. One of the most wonderful things about the faith is that God's grace also doesn't play favorites. Um, what you have done, what... Uh, you have done many times how hard you may have fallen, how ugly uh, your sins may be that you have committed. There can be forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's the other side. That's the balance. Uh, we saw last week, though, that this forgiveness, unlike what these false teachers are pushing about grace, this forgiveness through the grace of God in Jesus Christ is given when? When we, begins with an R, Thank you, thank you, yeah. It, it's given when we repent of our sins, when we see them the way that God sees them, when we are as broken as the way God is broken by our sin. And we trust God's plan of redemption through Jesus Christ. You see, God is also this amazing God of mercy and grace. But there are some who twist this wonderful truth, and they twist it to justify their own lifestyle choices. They want to do what they want to do so they will manipulate God's word to make it say what they want it to say. And this is what Jude's getting at. They're, they're always looking for loopholes. Yeah, but how close can I get? Uh, and, and some of this idea of, of forgiveness uh, to, to justify their greed, uh, maybe even just the tendency they have to gossip and to talk about other people, um, selfishness, laziness, it doesn't matter what it is. They twist it, and Jude is saying that you're a fool if you think that way and if you act that way. So what about example one? Miraculously freed people who are later destroyed. Jude said that Jesus, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, later destroyed those who did not believe. And that's a, that's a pretty nice way of saying it because it was like, everybody but two guys <laughs> who said no to go into the land of Canaan. And this is probably not new information for most of you in this room, for many of you. 
Uh, maybe the Jesus part is, but just remember, Jesus is G-O-D. Jesus is God. He's eternally God. He was there at creation. He was a part of creation. He, 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 he called the, uh, our, our universe into existence, and he was there freeing these people from slavery, the Hebrews. Jude's readers are also very familiar because this is the fate of their ancient ancestors, a story probably told over and over again, who refused to enter the land of Cana because they didn't trust God. Lack of trust. And as a result, they were forced to wander in the desert for 40 years until the whole generation had perished. And the fact that God had worked in such a miraculous way. Do you remember all the, the plagues that he sent on Egypt? Those, there's 10 of them. And then, and then when they left, the, he parted the Red Sea. And manna comes down. And quails appear. And water comes out of a rock. And the fact that God worked in a miraculous way to rescue these Hebrews from slavery in Egypt did not protect them later when they turned away from God. What about the second example? These are God's own created angels locked up until judgment day. And in verse 6, Jude says, You also know that the angels who did not keep within their proper domain but abandoned their own place of residence, he has kept in eternal chains in utter darkness locked up for the judgment of the great day. And this is also a very, very well-known Jewish interpretation of Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. It dominated Jewish literature. And that's why he says this is a reminder for you the interpretation states that before the flood, before Noah built the ark, before the flood, there were angels, or as they're called in Scripture, sons of God in the Old Testament. It's in uh, Genesis 6, it's in the Psalms, and it's a couple places in Job. They deserted their dwelling place, um, the heavenly realms, most likely, and they took up residence among humanity on the newly created earth. And the interpretation says that they had sexual relations with human women and that their offspring were those ancient warriors of old, you know, the demigods of mythology that Marvel Comics has made billions off of. The, the, they're called the Nephilim in the Old Testament. Um, and ancient mythology, Greek, Roman, Babylonian, it doesn't matter, is most likely based on some of these old stories that have been passed on generation to generation. You know, the gods of lore, the titans of old. And the book that contains the most extensive collection and reflection on these fallen angels is a book called First Enoch. And it's a work that Jude's going to quote from next week in verses 14 and 15. But Peter, he also mentions this, this second story. Uh, of the three stories in 2 Peter 2, 4. He puts it this way, God did not spare the angels who sinned, but he threw them into hell and locked them up in chains in utter darkness to be kept until the judgment. Same thing that Jude says. And Jude recounts for us how, what their sin was, that they abandoned their own place of residence. They failed to keep to the appointed realm where God had placed them. Your angels, these are humans. This is, this is the human realm. This is your realm. Stay away. They wanted more than what God had created and provided for them. Does that sound familiar? None, none of us ever have gone there, right? We've never wanted more. I mean, we're, we're, we're completely content and satisfied. Why can't we 
You fill in the blank. <laughs> what is it for you? Why can't I? They have it. Why don't I have it? Shouldn't I have it? Maybe I should go get it. And God's given us so much, but I want more. The result of their rebellion against these boundaries for these angels that God had established for them was that they were condemned to eternal punishment in hell awaiting the great judgment day. What about the third example? Let's move on. Sensual sinners who are punished by fire. In verse 7, Jude says, So also Sodom and Gomorrah and the neighboring towns. It was a very, very large area. Since they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, listen to this, in, the same, in, in a way similar to the angels, they're now displayed as an example of suffering the punishment of eternal fire. So Jude says that Sodom and Gomorrah, a very familiar story in the Old Testament, a very sad story, and all the surrounding towns in that vast region gave themselves up to a, a sexual immorality in a way similar to these angels. So the essence of their rebellion was also about sexual sin. Isn't that interesting? I mean, the, the, the sex that is rampant in our society today, the sexual revolution, it's not new. <laughs> it's always been this way. It's been one of the main ways that Satan gets to us. And these city-states abandoned the boundaries set by God that sex is to be, to be between a husband and a wife. It's declared by God in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It's affirmed by the Son of God in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. One man, one woman equals a marriage. And Sodom and Gomorrah's specific sin for which they were severely judged was homosexual conduct. You see it in Genesis chapter 19 and verse 5. And Jude tells us that they are now displayed for that as an example by suffering the punishment of eternal fire. Just like the angels uh, are destined for eternal fire. We, we know that from uh, Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 25. We read about it in, in Revelation chapter 14 and in Revelation chapter 20. So also the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed by actual fire. Brimstone and fire fell from God from the sky. And that fire is eternal in the, in the essence that its effects were permanent. Those towns and the surrounding area was utterly destroyed and never rebuilt. Today, many believe that these towns are in a particular, below a particular section of the Dead Sea in Israel and that the high, high ex exceedingly high salt content under that sea is directly related to the brimstone destruction of those cities over a very wide area. Eternal fire, it's a metaphor in the Bible. And sometimes it's the real deal, and other times it's, a, it's very symbolic. And it is always seems to be symbolic for the fate of anyone who rejects Jesus Christ as their Savior. Eternal fire. That they will be completely and utterly lost. It's that serious. This is why Jude's so worked up about it. Because there's people in the church saying that that's not so. It's that serious. 
and you and I, we've been left here in this society, in North America, to offer the hope of God's grace and to rescue all those that God is calling. We get clarity through these three examples. Like it's so in your face. It's so, wow, this is like, this is like really sinful. And there are consequences for any created being who thumbs their nose at the forgiveness and grace of God and the boundaries he set and what he has laid out for you to do. There are consequences to our behavior, always. And Jude goes on to further describe these kinds of people that you and I will encounter and may even be tempted to follow. Verse 8, Yet these men, as a result of their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and insult the glorious ones. Dreams were commonly considered a source of divine revelation before the completed word of God was left for you and I. And I find it so interesting. Uh, as a matter of fact, Benjamin and, and Jason and I in the office, we talk about this quite often because it's so prevalent in our society. Isn't it interesting how many church pastors and, and prophets and evangelists who are running around the world today use dreams as their source of teaching? as their source of authority. God told me last night, listen up, people. And they pretend to offer direct revelation from God to all the crowds that are listening to them. It's, it's fantastic. It's, it's unbelievable. It's supernatural. And Jude's opponents that he's uh, showing up right here apparently claim the same kind of um, nocturnal inspiration in, in support for their teachings and in support for even their behavior. Jude now makes a link. He's making a link with the infiltrators of our mind, and he's making it explicit. They are guilty of rejecting God's authority. They are guilty of rejecting our God's authority. In the very same way as the fallen angels and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah have, have transgressed the sexual boundaries, God has established for them and they've defiled themselves actually physically. There's a physical defilement that takes place. And the reference, the last one in that verse, was the glorious ones. Those are angels. Very clearly angels. Peter, in Second Peter, describes these deceivers', deceivers behavior towards God's holy ones. It's in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Here's, here's what they're like. They're brazen and insolent. And they are not afraid to insult the glorious ones. Yet even angels, those glorious beings of God, yet even angels who are much more powerful, probably squash them with their thumb, they do not bring a slanderous judgment against them before the Lord. It's been suggested that they belittle angels. So why would they desire to do this? Like, what's the big deal with angels? What is their to gain by belittling angels. Well, these false teachers judged angels as being the, the bearers of an outdated law that God gave through angels to Moses on Mount Sinai. We, we all aware of that? That the, the, the law came to the children of Israel through angels on Mount Sinai. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us about it, um, about the Old Testament was given through angels. For if, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2, for if the message spoken through angels, this, and he's talking about the Old Testament law, proved to be so firm 
Like it was so real that every violation or disobedience received its just penalty. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And they've got to put this down because there's things they want to do in their life and the lust of their flesh, and they've got to, they've got to look for a loophole. So they're looking for these loopholes in order to justify their sin. So they create their own loopholes. And we do this all the time. So it would play out like this. Moses' law lays out rules of conduct. You, you can't dispute that. You look at the Ten Commandments. You look at all the other laws. There they are. They're there in black and white. But you see, those rules are no longer in force. That's what they would say. And so, so, and so angels are not such a big deal anymore, all right? So, like, they're nothing compared to we humans. So sexual misconduct can be permitted. It can be allowed. And the problem with this false, slanderous idea that is all around us is that the principles of God's Old Testament laws to the Jews, like do not steal, do not commit adultery, honor your father and your mother, don't be sexually immoral, are all repeated for Christians to obey in the New Testament letters, and we follow them explicitly. So you see, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's a lot like Stephen. Remember Deacon Stephen um, in, in Acts chapter 6? He was one of the first deacons in the church, and he was a, he was a great teacher, a great preacher, a great man of faith, and he's talking to Jewish opponents of Jesus Christ in a, in a, in a synagogue in Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 7, verse 53. And here's what he says. Listen to this. This doesn't sound familiar to what Jude's saying. You stubborn people, you have uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit, just like your ancestors did. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold long ago the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law by decrees given by angels. There it is again. But you did not obey it. And those hard-hearted hearers of truth in that synagogue responded to the truth Stephen was preaching by killing him. They dragged him outside of the city and they stoned him to death. Just like their ancestors did to the prophets. Religious people of any stripe or any belief, including Christians, can be so arrogant, can be so self-deceived with their own power and their own privilege. Let's rescue people from this. This is what Jude's saying. Let's not go there ourselves, and then let's go find people who are under this error, and let's win them back. So now Jude talks about an actual angel. It's in verse 9. But even when Michael, so he goes to the biggest angel, right? Most powerful. But even when Michael, the archangel, was arguing with the devil and debating with him concerning Moses' body, he did not dare to bring a slanderous judgment, but said, may the Lord rebuke you. So what Old Testament passage can Jude possibly be referring to? That's right. He's not alluding to any a portion of the, of the Bible. It's not in there. Jude is talking from a book called The Testament of Moses, which was written early in the first century. The nature of the dispute that he's referring to between Michael and Satan uh, is not quite clear, but it doesn't matter because that's not the point. 
Jude's point is that even Michael, an angel of surpassing power and authority that we know from Daniel chapter 10 and uh, chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 12, this mighty creature of God was unwilling to do what these false teachers recklessly did with abandon, issuing condemning judgments against even angels to regard angelic beings so lightly, so frivolously. And even Michael did not render a verdict against the evil liar, father of lies, the angel, the created angel, Satan. And even though Satan was at the time speaking slanderously against Moses, instead, what did Michael do? What does the text say? He appealed to God to judge Satan. He wasn't even willing to do it. The right to judge anything or anyone belongs to God alone. We have to remember that. Never overstep the boundaries instituted by God himself. Or our own words of judgment against another person may bring condemnation only upon ourselves. But remember, there's a huge difference between holding another believer accountable to the truth as it's revealed in God's word. That's a part of rescuing. That's, that's the big part of rescuing. But judgment, that's, that's a pronouncement on their life. And that's God's domain. Even Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses uh, uh, 17, right after the, uh, the famous John three sixteen, he said, I haven't come to condemn the world. Do you know why? What did he say? It's condemned already. You don't have to do that. I've come to save it. I've come to redeem. I've come to rescue. Verse 10, our our last verse for today. But these men, these ones that you and I need to be aware of and rescue people from, they don't understand the things they slander. And they are being destroyed by the very things like irrational animals they instinctively comprehend. Despite the claims that you're hearing on the TV uh, from men and women who are claiming to have special revelation through dreams from God, Jude says they are actually ignorant of the spiritual realities they claim to understand. The only thing he says they understand are the base desires, like their uncontrolled sexual appetites. Did you think those are pretty intense verses? Yeah? Verses 5 through 10? They're pretty intense. But follower of Jesus, be of good cheer. Jude tells us that in response to this constant attack in our world today, we, the children of God, in verse 3, were to contend for the faith. That's what we're supposed to do. And who's on our side? God is on our side. And then he says later in verses 20 and 21, we are to build ourselves up and keep ourselves in the love of God. And then in verses 22 and 23, he says, and we are to work to rescue those who have gone astray or who are at risk of doing so. Are you watching? Do you care that much about others, other people? And he says in verse 24 that we can do this with confidence because we know that God's power is sufficient, listen to this, to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Would you stand with me?
we've looked at, as I said, three pretty extreme stories that lay out the dangers that are around us. It's, uh, for some, it's shocking. For others, it's, uh, that's what I expected. But God has a plan for each of us. And there are people in your life, I know there are, there are in mine, who really need to be rescued. And it's going to take the love of God shining through us and the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit in their life to reveal the truth to them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you, and now we are going to uh, sing to you. We're going to praise your name, for you alone are worthy of all praise. And Lord, I pray that we would be controlled by your Holy Spirit as we leave this place to do battle in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.